You've heard Jack Benny, Amos and Andy, Bergen and McCarthy. Still waiting to entertain you on CBS are Rocky Jordan, Horace Height, R. Miss Brooks, Dick Hames and Joe Stafford, The Whistler and Red Skelton. Now, Del Monte Foods brings you a world of adventure with... Rocky Jordan. Stupid, bumbling fool. I'm sorry, mister, and no harm done. No harm, you see. I'll very well show you. Hey, Rocky, come over here. Say, mister, what's the idea of the gun? You will never try that again. Never. Yeah, that goes all around, Buster. Give me that gun. Uh, stop it, sir. Take your hands off of me. Not like get that gun. Yeah. How, how dare you, sir? How dare you? It always happens when customers come waving guns in the tambourine. You saw what he deliberately knocked from my pocket? Scattered like chaff on the floor. Diamonds, sir. Diamonds of incredible value. So they're diamonds. Rocky, I was just carrying a tray past this table. I happened to bump into them. And... Happened indeed. You haven't heard the last of this, sir. Not for one moment. Del Monte, the brand you trust for flavor in so many good foods. Yes, Del Monte, the best-liked brand of canned fruits and vegetables in the whole wide world, takes you now to the Café Tambourine in Cairo, gateway to the ancient East, where modern adventure and intrigue unfold against a backdrop of antiquity. Tonight's Rocky Jordan story... Foolproof. They always pick my cafe tambourine. Like the fat guy who had draped his 300 pounds over a chair at a corner table, sipped at a drink, and waited for something. I kept watching because I'd seen him slide a gun under his coat lying on the table, and I didn't like it. When Chris bumped the table going by, a leather pouch hit the floor, and what came pouring out sparkled like a kid's eyes in a candy store. Mr. Fat whipped up with a gun, and it took me a good three seconds to get it away from him. You realize, sir... You have no right. I make all the rules in the tambourine, mister. They don't include guns. Honest, Rocky, it was just an accident. To deliberately knock the diamonds from my coat? Just pick them up, whatever they are. Yes. Yes. Here, yes. I'll, I'll help you. No, 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 don't touch them. Don't touch them. Uh, have it his way, Chris. Uh, you got him now, mister. You know what to do. Uh, I, I suppose there's no harm done after all. Sure, it's past history. So before there's any more trouble... Wait, sir. Perhaps I should apologize. Nobody's asking it. I'm Mr. Hegeman, Sidney Hegeman. Carrying such valuable gems on my person made me nervous. When they were knocked to the floor, I, I automatically pulled the gun. I didn't mean anything by it. Well, the next time you may automatically pull the trigger, so just move along. But uh, I had an appointment here. Not anymore, you haven't. You give me no choice. About my gun? Now, wait a minute. Won't hurt anybody now. I take it and get out. Thank you, sir. Good day. It had all the elements. A fat guy, a gun, and a full of diamonds. They were gone, but I figured the forgetting wouldn't come so easy. Things don't happen that way. It took just 15 minutes for more to come. An excited, slim-built fellow with five feet six of nervous blonde clinging to him. They stood looking around like they expected somebody. And I didn't have to guess who. Eddie... Hey, I don't see him. Take it easy, Marguerite. This is the place. He said the tambourine. Well, yes, I know, but... Hey. He... Hey, you. 
folks call me that. You seen anything of a guy, a big fat guy? Called himself Sidney Hageman? Yeah, yeah, that's the one. He been in here? He's been in and out. Out? That was my idea. But I don't get it. He said to meet him here, it was all set. What was all set? Eddie, don't you no, see it? No, no, no. It's all right, baby. You heard what Hageman said. He wouldn't let us down. He could have changed his mind. Please, let's just go away and forget about it. Sure. Why don't you do that? He's right, Eddie. Don't you see now, it? Now, look, Marguerite. You wouldn't ask me to pass up my big chance, would you? The kind of deal I've been waiting for all my life. It'll put us on easy street. Us, Eddie? Of course, baby. You know I'm doing this for you. I just wish I could be sure. Well, just give me a chance, then. All we gotta do is sit down and wait for him. Yeah, suit yourselves. Oh, hey, wait. He didn't ask for me. Eddie Gamble? Didn't say a word. Yeah. Well, maybe he'll phone and tell me where to meet him. You let me know. Yeah, I'll let you know. Uh, Rocky, come over here a minute. Who's it now, Chris? Behind the bar. I want to show you something. Yeah. Have a look at this. I just found it. One of Hageman's diamonds? Yeah. Must have rolled behind the leg of a chair when fat stuff dropped him. Accidentally missed it when he was picking him up. A beauty, ain't it? Looks real enough. Of course it's real. Anybody could tell that. Big one, too. Just like all the rest of them he had. Well, I'll take it, Chris. Oh, uh, keep an eye on that couple at the front table. One diamond could mean enough, but when people start getting dramatic about a whole fistful of them around my place, it's time the police were in on it. So my destination was Captain Sam Sabaya. But along the way, I decided to stop by a little jewelry shop run by the trusted Abu Symbol, just in case. Ah, Jordan, is he not? Hi, Mr. Symbol. Allah has been gracious, and you? The same. Say, would you mind looking at this for me? A diamond, Effendi? I want to know what you think. Permit me to observe it under the eyeglass. What a moment. What do you see from there? The diamond of great brilliance. And quite perfect for one of such size. Then it's real. Say, a whole bag full like it would bring quite a price, wouldn't you say? A very great sum. If uh, you wish me to name a price, I must make further tests. Oh, don't bother for now. Thanks, Mr. Symbol. You would guard it carefully, Effendi. Why so? It has been said that the diamond is but a star sent to Earth to give happiness. Should we not keep it so? Sure. I'll remember that. Well, Jordan, what brings you to headquarters this time? Maybe nothing, maybe a lot, Sam. <laughs> Must you always prepare me for what you have to say? Come, Jordan. No, it's about this diamond. It's a real one, too. I had it checked. What about it? A big guy named Hageman had a whole sack full like this at my cafe this afternoon. He uh, happened to leave this behind. Then you have only to return it to him. I'm wondering, have there been any big diamond thefts lately? No, none that has been reported. Just the same, you better look up, Hageman. Why, Jordan? You must know that diamonds are not uncommon in Africa and surely not in Cairo. What do you expect me to do? Nothing you don't want to do, Sam. If you wish to leave the stone for lost and found... No, no, no. If Hageman comes back, I'll give it to him. It was just a hunch. Jordan, be patient. You never need search for trouble. It will find you. Sam's advice made some sense, and I went back to the tambourine. 
Chris was switching on the front lights when I got there. Hageman wasn't around, and neither was Eddie Gamble now. Only the girl still seated at the front table. She turned quickly as I came in, then looked disappointed. Oh, what happened to the boyfriend, Marguerite? Why, uh, he wanted me to wait. For what? Where is he? Well, Mr. Hageman phoned shortly after you left to arrange a new meeting place. Where? Oh, I don't know. Eddie talked to him. Sure. This time he wanted you to stay here, out of the way, so you wouldn't queer the deal. Well, Eddie knows how I feel. Marguerite, Hageman has it set up to sell Eddie something, right? Why, A lot I... of diamonds, like this one here. Mr. Jordan, how did you find out? All sorts of ways. But this one isn't... Don't worry about it. Company. Her aims are... ...him test dog. The Planet Man! Black, swirling river. Del Monte Foods is presenting tonight's adventure with Rocky Jordan. I know most of you like tomato juice. Maybe you like it with a squeeze of lemon or a dash of Worcestershire sauce. But the first time you try Del Monte tomato juice, try it just as is. And I think you'll get the surprise of your life. I know I did. I just didn't think it was possible for a tomato juice to be so fresh tasting and natural tasting. Really, Del Monte is a remarkably good tomato juice, friends. Just notice the fragrance when you pour it. If anything ever reminded you of a plump, juicy, fresh tomato picked fully ripe off the vine, that's it. You simply can't mistake that Del Monte presses this juice from the finest tomatoes. And they've packed it so fast and under such close quality control that what they've delivered in the way of rich, tangy, natural flavor is something very special. Why, it's so refreshing. My family drinks tomato juice between meals now. And think how good it is for them. Yes, if you like the flavor of fresh, ripe tomatoes, friends, you ought to be drinking Del Monte tomato juice. Get several cans at your grocer's tomorrow. And now we take you back to Cairo and tonight's Rocky Jordan story, Foolproof. Jewels were gone now, somewhere in the mud at the bottom of the Nile. All I could do was call Sam Sabaya to pick up the late Eddie Gamble. We got Marguerite to her hotel. She was in no shape to talk about anything just then, so we called it a night. I was sure there was something more here than an attempted robbery murder by a couple of Arabs. In Only ten. Cool. Broadcasting system. is mutual. W-O-R, New York. Stretch, throw it down to Mr. Conklin. This is mutual. Kellogg's Pep. Mutual Broadcasting System. Quiet! Sorry, Buster, but I haven't got any time to wait. Kellogg's Pep! That's funny. That's the... Broadcasting system. Twin brother who's a cop. Appearing in Action Comics magazine.
safe to have our car doors swinging open, you know. I'll... Come on! Faster than... Faster than a speeding bullet. More faster than a... Mutual Broadcasting System. Here's the Mutual Broadcasting System. Faster than a speeding bullet. Breathing. But I knew the... Faster than a speeding bullet. Broadway's My Beat, from Times Square to Columbus Circle. The gaudiest, the most violent, the lonesomest mile in the world. Broadway's My Beat, with Larry Thor as Detective Danny Clover. end of October begins its departure from Broadway, scatters the brown leaves of regret before it, piles them high at this corner and that, and the mob turns up its coat collar, drifts the autumn street and looks for a friend, looks, sees only the two-hour dream promised by the theater marquee, sees warmth on the other side of the plate glass windows, and sees this, the girl with the soft fur held close to her throat, covering her face right up to her eyes, and where she was is chillness. That was October. Image and farewell. Get moving, kid. And an evening above it, the place of no seasons, hospital corridor where I was, and Detective Mugman. What about it, Danny? Is she going to live? Dr. Sinsky doesn't know. At least he says he doesn't know. He knows. A girl stabbed like that, she hasn't got a chance. Uh, mind if we sit down here on this bench and smoke? No. Oh. Just run it down for me, Mugman. The subway guard, Times Square, said it was 10 o'clock, give or take a couple of seconds, that he heard a scream. Local train had stopped, people getting on and off, rush, you know. So a girl screamed. Do you think the people stopped rushing to see what was the matter? No, they kept right Come on. Come on, Mugman, just tell me. The guard battled his way through to where the girl screamed. She had a knife in her. Yeah. Couldn't tell if she'd been on the train and was getting off or what. It called emergency ambulance, got her here about a half an hour ago. No witnesses? Huh? Oh, the usual crop. Each with a story of the way they figured it happened. Nothing. Identification? Lots of that. Wallet, usual stuff. Oh, here, wait a minute. Here. Yeah. I wrote it down for you. Uh, Mary Trevor, 1212 West 37th. What else? She was carrying an overnight bag, Danny. Been away or was going away for a day to nightgown, under things, slippers. You know the stuff. A novel to read, a couple of women's magazines. She had a nice vacation, huh? Information. Talk about Mary Trevor. Morning. Pop your face when you talked to me yesterday. I do not understand, Captain. A man known to have a large number of diamonds on his person was in Mr. Jordan's cafe yesterday. A very fat man named Hagerman. Hagerman? Then you know of him? Uh, yes, I've had some association with him. Like but I, I said, don't... Sam, find him. I shall, Jordan. 
But the perplexing problem remains that of the evidence. We know that he had some jewels, but how can one say that they were from Mr. Morgan's safe? Yeah, I see what you mean. The jewels are now lost at the bottom of the Nile River. But that's incredible. If what you say is true... Hey, wait, the... Sam. They're all gone except one. Still in my office safe. Oh, yes, of course. I'd quite forgotten. Say, Mr. Morgan, could you tell if the diamond I have is one of yours? Oh, I could, yes. The stones were insured, and each piece listed and described separately. I could surely tell. Let's get it, Sam. Jordan, I have matters at headquarters. Please bring the stone there for Mr. Morgan to see, say, in two hours, if that is agreeable. By all means, Captain. Two hours. I'll be there. Sam and I went out together. He dropped me at the tambourine, and I promised to let him know what cooked. The night crowds were just coming in, but Chris wasn't around. I wondered about that as I went through the cafe and opened my office door. Chris! Rocky! Uh, take it easy. I'll get the gag off. Ah, that's better. Oh, am I glad you got here, Rock. The cords in my wrists are killing me. Uh, just a sec. I'll have you loose. Come on, now. What happened? Well, I... Uh... I heard a noise back here. When I came in, a couple of Arab natives were tearing up the place. You're lucky they didn't put a knife in you. Don't I know it. They grabbed me and tied me up. Yeah. What about the safe? Well, they couldn't get in there. Oh, we better make sure. But I'm telling you, Rock, they didn't open the safe. Chris, think again. The diamond's gone. Gone? But ain't that it? No. There's a stone here, all right. Same size, but not the diamond. Look at it. Yeah. Not so clear. No sparkle like the other one. Well, what the heck goes? I was here all the time. That's what I want to know. How could anyone get in the safe, take the diamond? Did you try to kill her? No. <laughs> no, I wouldn't, you see. Tell me about it. I wouldn't, you see, because once I loved Mary Trevor. And now you don't, and suddenly she's knifed on a subway platform. Tell me when you stopped loving her, Mr. Gray. I could tell you the precise moment. Do that. Less than a month ago, I sat in a bistro in Paris. On the table before me was an aperitif, amber in color, and my visitor's visa to America. I sat and sipped, and I culled through half-forgotten memories. High among them was Mary Trevor. You said a visitor's visa. Exactly. Thirty days have I in the country of my birth. Here, I'll show you. My papers, the visa, my birth certificate, my passport. French passport, as you see, because I'm a French citizen. Well, look at them. It happened to me what they say in the travel folders. I saw Paris, I tasted of Paris, I went on my knees to her, begged for citizenship. Got it. What brought you back, Mr. Graham? A longing. In Paris, I lived on small articles to the Tribune about American tourist behavior and customs abroad. Now, here I shall live on small articles to the Paris Tribune. Behavior and customs of the Americans at home. Until you marry Joan Hunt, that is. You asked for the moment when I fell out of love with Mary Trevor. I called her when I arrived. We had cocktails and old remembrances. And then she took me to Joan to display me. I saw Joan. At that precise moment, I loved Joan and no longer Mary. Miss Hunt is very rich. Miss Hunt is helpless and lonely and crippled, and I love her, and I'm going to marry her. Touche, Mr. Plover? You went to Miss Hunt's lodge with Mary. To prepare Jones and my place of honeymoon, clean it up. 
With Mary and with Dickie and Lucy Nelson. Very proper. Very carnial foe. Dickie and Lucy are giddy idiots, but they're respectable folk. As was Marion. As was I. When did you see her last? When my cab dropped to Nelson's off at their apartment. Then Mary offered a subway station uptown. I kissed Mary's forehead, and our forever parting was graceful. Now, if you... Never mind, Mr. Gray. I'll get it. Hello? That you, Danny? Yeah, Markman, what do you want? I'm here at the hospital with Mary Trevor, Danny. She's trying to say something. She wants to talk to Robert Gray. All right, write down what she says. I'll get Gray. It's for you, Mr. Gray. Who? Mary Trevor. She wants to talk to you. You going to take the call, Mr. Gray? Yes. Yes, I am. Mary? It's me. It's Robert. I'm deeply sorry about... Mary? Mary? Playful joke, Mr. Clover. There's no one there. Give me the phone. Hello? Hello, Mugovan. Yeah, Danny. Give Mr. Gray the message. Tell him Mary Trevor couldn't say a word to him. She just died. You are listening to Broadway's My Beat, written by Morton Fine and David Friedkin, and starring Larry Thor as Detective Danny Clover. When you set about explaining how democracy works, the first thing you're apt to mention is that it's the system where everybody has his say on how things are run. It's pretty embarrassing, then, to be reminded that in the 1948 election, only half the eligible voters in this democracy went to the polls to say their say. For our own sakes and to show the world in general that the democratic ideal can be fulfilled, let's do better this time. Vote as you please this November, but vote. See you at the polls. October's dying is of gold and of an autumn leaf that floats a river spilling in the winter seas. And for Broadway, too... It is the gentle time, the slow curve of light that bends from brilliant summer glint, bows, dissolves into chill grays. Indian summer mists into autumn smoke. The time of the early afternoon stroll and the swift appraisal of winter's mannequins, the drawing of lots in the football pools, and the newest emotion, movies in three dimensions. The good time, the gentle time. So walk the late October street, kid before it's pulled out from under you. And the place where I was, high above the autumn city, 30 stories away from flow and sound of East River, the place of Dickie and Lucy Nelson, where there was fireplace, Grecian figurines, and where the talk was of a dead girl, Mary Trevor. Tell him, Dickie. Tell him how desolate we are over the girl. Mary was a companion, Mr. Clover. A boon companion. Often made us laugh till tears, Lucy and me. Can you understand our sense of loss? She made jokes and you'll miss them, is that it? Now that you've asked, yes, we'll miss them. Dickie. Yes, dear? Is it too possibly early for a martini? I feel the need of something. I don't quite know what. You think, martini? The chap has a mission, dear. Later, after he's gone. Whatever you say, sweet. It's just that I'm so drained. That gay, gay frolic at Jones' place. Now the reaction's setting in. Drained. Listen. Tell me about it, Mrs. Nelson. About what? The gay time you had at Joan Hunt's place. 
Lake Champlain was never lovelier. <laughs> Sweet. Will you ever forget that odd little native fellow who helped us get Joan's place ready for a honeymoon? <laughs> Will you ever forget that thing he said about the canopy bed? <laughs> Never. Never as long as I draw breath. I'll try to explain something to you two. Uh, please do. Please. A girl is dead. Murdered. The last few days of her life, you were with her. You can tell me about it here, or we can go downtown. There aren't many yachts there. I think you should know that. The chap is quite right, dear. This is deadly serious. Get your things. We're going downtown. No, no. It's quite simple, really. Don't get your hackles up. Mary and that Robert Gray, uh, the fortunate fiancé, <laughs> and Lucy and I, early Tuesday we arrived at Joan's place. We got it in order for her honeymoon. Then Wednesday we celebrated. There was a jug and Lucy and I got squiffed and we communed with nature and had laughter together. And when we woke up Thursday, there was Robert and Mary with coffee for us and our things all packed for the trip home. And Thursday evening, Robert dropped us off right over here. And that's the last we've seen of either of them. Our oath. Our solemn word. Dickie? Yes, dear? I had a thought. <laughs> I had a funny thought. Let's open honeymoon palaces all over the world. We'll make it a career. Our life's work. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Dickie, the thought kills me. <laughs> honeymoon palaces. <laughs> Lucy, darling, you've outdone yourself. <laughs> honeymoon and they laughed, and they hit each other with their elbows, and they were happy. The jollity was too much for me. I felt left out and unwanted, and it struck me that perhaps the time to go was now. So I did. Back to headquarters, and sit at the desk, a few minutes of thinking. And Sergeant Gino Tataglia happens. Danny? Come on in, Gino. Why the big grin? Listen. You listening, Danny? Tip a canoe and tile it too. What? Tip a canoe and tile it too, Danny. What about it? It does have a ring to it, doesn't it? My fourth born, Donald, brought the phrase home from a school with him last night. Tip a canoe and tile it too. Gino. <laughs> Gino. <laughs> huh? You have anything for me? Oh, hardly a thing. Nothing of note in Miss Trevor's background. Nothing of note in Miss Trevor's overnight bag. Personal effects. A novel entitled, let's see, uh, titled The Cane Mutiny, in which was her birth certificate as a bookmark between Chapter 4. And birth if, certificate? As I have said. Now, if you would... Don't mind me, Lieutenant. Thank you. Danny Clover speaking. Mugovan, Danny, with the Trevor apartment. Yeah, what's up? Mary Trevor's father, Danny, just tried to kill himself. What? Yeah, just tried suicide. Stick with him, Muggerman. I must have been out of my mind. I don't know. I went crazy. Suddenly it was the only thing I could do, kill myself. Why? Why did you try to commit suicide, Mr. Trevor? Well, don't just sit there and shake your head. You plugged up the apartment and turned on the gas, so there must have been a reason. Leave me alone. Remorse? You sorry about something? Nodding your head won't do it, Mr. Trevor. Talk to us. Tell us what you're sorry about. Leave me alone. Look, Mr. Trevor, your daughter was murdered. You don't like the kind of life she leads, so you kill her. Then you become very unhappy. You've done a very terrible thing, you tell yourself, so you make up no, for it. No, no. 
Flip on the gas. It doesn't hurt. You're dead real easy, and the whole thing's over with. That's the best you'll give us, huh? The bit was shaking the head. Who called the police, Muggerman? Now, some woman saw Trevor break that window over there, give a yell and fall down, called it in. What are we going to do with him? Book him, I guess. Let's go, Trevor. Did you hear what the lieutenant said? I was crazy. Scared, too, huh? When you started getting a little woozy from the gas, real panicky, all of a sudden you don't want to kill yourself. Like you killed your daughter. What? Like you killed your daughter. No, I didn't do that. She's dead. I didn't want to live anymore because she's dead, but I didn't kill her. You see... What? Something happened to me. My baby dying and she was going to get married and me being her father and loving her. That's all there was to anything I did loving her. What could I do anymore about living? What could I Who do... Who is your daughter going to marry? There. Huh? In the table drawer where the phone is. Mm. This letter? Yeah. Let's see it. Yeah. Oh. We're here in Canada, Daddy, Bob and I. He's going to marry me. I'll make him do it. I found a way. Sign Mary. Take a look, Muggerman. The envelope, too. Uh-huh. Bob. Robert Gray? Has to be. Uh, the envelope's postmarked Wednesday. Look, call Canada. Yeah. Have Dr. Sinsky look at Mr. Trevor, Muggerman. I got a couple of stops to make. So ride the late afternoon streets, uptown on Fifth to Forty Second, public library. Ask for an atlas and get it, and locate a town in Canada called Lacol. Then know what you need to know. Leave there, cross town to a place you've been to before, to the apartment of Robert Gray, and no one answers your knock. Robert Gray's door is locked. So downstairs be told by a man at the switchboard that Mr. Gray had left word he might be reached at this number. Check the number against a name and an address you have, and it matches. So uptown again to Park Avenue at dog walk time. And the doxies and the spaniels leave their butlers on leashes. And today's maid wears today's gray silk and white collar and a smile left over from yesterday. Go through the ritual and finally be ushered across the parkade floor to another room. Come in, Mr. Clover. Thanks. Robert and I were having tea. Will you join us? No, thanks. Did you want to see me? Both of you. Joan, dear. Yes? Whatever Mr. Clover wants to say to us, I'm sure I can answer it. I'll find Don't him. act the gallant, Robert. Sit there. Speak when you're spoken to. Now, what is it, Mr. Clover? Maybe Mr. Gray is right. Maybe just he and I If couldn't. it concerns Robert, it concerns me. Isn't that right, Robert? Robert? Yes. Robert says that's right, Mr. Clover. All right, Clover. Let's... Sure. Let me pose the name of a town, Mr. Gray. The Call. The Call is a town in Canada. It's about ten miles over the border. Well, I know it's... where it is. When I used to spend the summers at my lodge at Rouse's Point, we'd go right across the border into Lacoe for Canadian whiskey. But there's nothing there. Except... There's a post office there. And as the sun slowly sinks below the post office at Lacoe, you will bid us a fond farewell. Take off, Clover. Listen to my man. Man. What? I'm proud. We're handsome. 
I thought they were strays, too, at first. But when they jumped me for the jewel this evening, I saw they were working for somebody who tied in with a diamond job. I wish I knew what you were talking about, Mr. Jordan. You know, Hagerman made quite a mistake when he left that phony diamond on my tambourine floor. It put a big hole in your scheme. Somebody had to get it back. Did they? Come to think of it, who knew I had that jewel? You did. I showed it to you in my tambourine. You're not trying to accuse me of You're up to your ears in murder, Marguerite. Maybe there are a few things you'd like to tell me now. Why should I tell you anything? It's either me or Sam Sabaya. Make your choice. Why, if I tell you, you... Mr. Jordan! She was looking at the window, but before I turned, the shots came. They were for Marguerite, and she dropped. Then without thinking, I ran over to the shattered window. A man was running up the passageway to the street, and I went after him. When he turned, I ducked back. The slugs cut the wall over my head, and I was moving again. So was he. The next shots were thrown wild over his shoulder. After the last one, he dropped the gun. And we did the 440 till I reached him a block and a half further on and tried for a flying tackle. It took his wind and the fight was over. But I kept it up, dragging him to his feet and over under a light where I could see who it was. I got a surprise. A kind that finally told me what it was all about. He was the man from the big house in the Azbekia sector. Claude Morgan. In just a moment, Rocky Jordan returns to conclude tonight's story. It's a sure sign of spring when people start breaking out the picnic baskets and polishing up the barbecue forks. That means outdoor meals ahead. And that means Del Monte catsup to me. There just isn't a catsup made that does as much for a picnic sandwich or a grilled hamburger. Yes, and from the way Del Monte catsup is disappearing off the shelves at the grocery store, plenty of women must think so, too. Try it yourself. Pour it out, bright and red and tempting. Get the fragrance of those fine spices and just taste the special richness of flavor Del Monte gets out of ripe tomatoes with that wonderful ingredient, pineapple vinegar. You'll say you've absolutely never enjoyed catsup flavor like this before. Well, I'd say it's just the catsup you'd expect from Del Monte. Why, I doubt if there's a woman in the West who doesn't know what that name means in quality and flavor. You'll like everything about Del Monte catsup, friends, including its low price. If you haven't tried it, how about tomorrow? Back now to Rocky Jordan for the conclusion of tonight's story. Well, Claude Morgan came along to headquarters peaceably enough. By the time he was able to think straight again, he was already booked and in a cell for the murder of Marguerite. Right quick after that, Sam went out looking for Sidney Hagerman. I went back to the tambourine, and just before closing time, Sam came in and joined me at a back table. I will only be a moment, Jordan. Oh, no rush, Sam. Sit down. A couple of coffees here, Chris. Right away, Rock. Oh, an excellent idea. Jordan, you will be interested to know that we have found Sidney Hagerman. Oh, good. That leaves only a couple of stray Arabs. There's a call out. They will be found. However, a few things are not quite clear to me. Better check my ideas with Claude Morgan. Figures he's the kingpin in the whole scheme. Mm, yes, the scheme. An insurance jip, Sam. A big elaborate setup to convince us that Morgan's diamonds were stolen. He probably has them tucked away in Italy someplace. You might contact the police there. If Morgan himself does not tell me... Ah, the coffee. 
Oh, thanks, Chris. Sure, Rocky. Now, Jordan, this strange tale of the Jargoon... Oh, it isn't important where Hageman got them. The idea was for me to see them at the tambourine and then to know of their sale to Eddie Gamble. Then mm. Gamble was not a party to the scheme. No, just the fall guy. Marguerite knew how to use him, too. 